You're listening to episode 18 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this is our first ever mailbag edition. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are in the midst of spring trading with the regular season seemingly on the horizon, but there's still enough time for a lot of things to happen this spring. I was talking to Alex before we were recording this show, and we were discussing the fact that we're kind of in this weird dead zone in baseball where it feels like there should be a lot of things happening, but it's all stuff that doesn't necessarily mean anything or doesn't really tell you a lot about what's going to happen once the regular season hits. So it's a little bit strange this time of year, Alex, but uh, that's not going to stop us from talking about what's happening in baseball. Is starting with the topic that maybe after today we can stop talking about for a while, and that is Bryce Harper finally has a new home for the next 13 13- years which seems insane (laughs) that's a it's a pretty long time right yeah it's uh that contract i think caught people off guard a little bit for a lot of reasons and before we dive back into the cardinals let's just talk about that for a little bit to sort of resolve our feelings about the bryce harper issue obviously signing with the phillies which is not surprising i think a lot of people expected that to some extent or or saw the phillies as the team that really could go out and offer him whatever he wanted i don't know about you but i was a little surprised that he ended up being more concerned or, or more swayed i guess by the years than by the actual dollar amount which is obviously massive as well but it's just it's striking to me because we've spent a lot of time hearing or or talking about this offseason teams saying you know it's not the it's not the money that scares us it's the years where really in this case Bryce Harper was saying no no no, it's the years that I want as much as the money which seems a bit backwards from what we typically see from someone who can kind of call their own shot as far as the contract is concerned. Yeah, uh, conceding that I have no idea what happened behind the scenes. It seemed he just really wanted uh, a lot of stability. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if part of the way it was uh, structured it w- was purposely done so they can have a, a shot at Trout in two years. You know, that's already what people are talking about. I don't know. But, yeah, um, you, you know, when, when this all started back in December, we talked about that offer the Nats gave him. I, which I think was what ten years, three hundred million, and I said something that looks kind of stupid in retrospect, which is like it could have been like a, a non-offer since the, you know there weren't any talks of uh, opt-outs or anything like that. And then you know he has, um, and here he has a, a thirteen-year uh, deal with no opt-outs, and it's not uh, front-loaded or back-loaded. It's just a straight-up. Uh, how, how would you, what would you call it? A a just a straight-up simple contract. Um, yeah. That you know. In this day and age, you know, we talk about Hayward, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, signed a contract with two opt-outs and, you know, that's not at all uncommon anymore. Um, although I, th- I think, you know, around that time, uh, Manfred or whoever was, you know, for whatever reason, trying to steer teams away from doing the double opt-out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It caught me off guard, not the Phillies part, but just the contract in general. I, I think, uh, 
I want to say credit to Dane Perry. I feel like over a year ago, um, he was the first person I say, I, I, he was the first person I heard um, predict Harper to the Phillies. Um, mm. And he didn't say that with any sort of finality. He was just like, I think it was one of those posts of, uh, you know, 20 things, you know, you expect to see this next season. And he said, you know, I'm going to reach really far into the future and say, I predict uh, Harper to the Phillies when he becomes a free agent. This naturally goes back to the Cardinals because, you know, that's why um, we were talking about Harper so much. We wanted the Cardinals to to sign him. And to me, the question isn't, should the Cardinals have signed him to 13 years, 30, um, 330 million, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, the, the question is more, should they have at least been involved? Should yeah. they have at least, I don't know, inquired? And I think that's where a lot of, that's definitely where my frustration is. It's, it's not the fact that Harper's not on the Cardinals right now. It's the fact that they didn't even at least, I guess, play the game at all. And, and I think that's concerning to me only because I'm curious about their way forward in a few years. Um, you know, you look at the teams, I'm trying to think, who have, who have won consistently without uh, a, a top 10 draft pick or, or lots of top 10 draft picks to choose from. You think about like the the Cardinals, the Yankees, and I guess the Dodgers. Um, and even the Dodgers, you know, Kershaw obviously has been a big part of their success. Um, not the only part, but certainly a big part. And he was, I think, like the seventh pick in 2006. So you can maybe even just say, like, the Cardinals and the Yankees. Um, and the Yankees will forever s- sustain that because they're the Yankees. And even though since, you know, Papa Steinbrenner is no longer with us, they don't quite spend like they used to. Like you sort of feel like if the dad, if George is still alive, like Harper might be on the Yankees right now. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true. It just sort of seems that way. But you have to think like, you know, their way forward is the way it's always been, which is that they're going to be big spenders on the big players. Um, the Cardinals have never quite operated that way. And it's going to be interesting to see how they plan to maneuver once some of their players start becoming free agents. You know, we're talking about Car- Carpenter and Ozuna and Goldschmidt. And I'm just kind of curious about their way forward if they're not even going to, I guess, dip their toes in these waters. Yeah, it's really interesting to sort of piece that together. And it's something that a lot of people have talked about this offseason. We've talked about it. I've talked about it with Daniel Shapta on our uh, Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast. And I've listened to a lot of other people discuss it. And not only is it weird for the Cardinals right now because they they have so few commitments moving forward, but it's weird because no one quite knows what the landscape in baseball is going to look like in a few years and what sort of contracts are going to be required to have top level talent and, you know, sort of how you're going to be able to put together a team that can compete with the high dollar markets like LA and New York. And that's always been a, a part of the the equation for the Cardinals. They've found creative ways around it before, but it does it does make things harder, I think, when you're always looking for a creative alternative instead of just going the most obvious route, and that is to pay the young superstar. I do wonder if this puts them not necessarily in a different situation with Paul Goldschmidt, but if it kind of changes that dynamic a little bit because it it seems very obvious and maybe change isn't the right word maybe this was their their play all along right was to not play the long game with Bryce Harper or or uh, Manny Machado maybe not even with with Nolan Arenado maybe that was just sort of a a flyer that if he somehow didn't end up 
back with the Rockies that they would make a, a run, a play there. But, um, the, the reality is they're not going to have to go 10 years for Paul Goldschmidt. They can go five, they can go six and be sort of in that comfort zone with someone that they potentially will know quite well after one year. And that's not to suggest that Paul Goldschmidt is definitely going to be a Cardinal, but it puts them back in their wheelhouse with the kind of contract they're more comfortable with instead of going out there and and diving into this free agent pool that they're not really sure they can keep up in. So I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's, I, I don't know how problematic it is that the Cardinals as an organization aren't willing to play that game, but it does make what happens next with Paul Goldschmidt feel a little more like something that they would actually be willing to do. Yeah, if, if they can sign Goldschmidt to like a five-year deal after this season, um, it'll kind of look similar to what they, I guess, did with Matt Holiday, um, yeah. which is they 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 traded for him. Uh, I, you know, with with Holiday, it was like near the trade deadline, but he, um, and, and then they were able to you know resign you know sign him at something that was what what seven years, hundred ninety-five million, which is still the biggest contract in Cardinals history. Yeah. So, so if, if they are able to constantly trade um when other teams are basically trading low for their superstars if, if they're able to to continue to do that and then, and then sign these guys and certainly that's great i just worry how often uh the matt holidays and, and paul goldschmidt's come around um right. and i don't know how, how much longer they can keep developing this minor league talent as well as they have um and so I don't know. It, it's like they're just, you know, and I'm not the first person who said this, um, but it's like I also worry how well this kind of operation is going to work now that every team is not stupid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, they're you, not as as far ahead of the curve as they once were. Yeah, we took yeah. advantage for a really long time of the Cubs kind of being a mess. Um, you know, the Brewers have just. I, I think you could call you could arguably call this the best rebuild that we've seen of any of the teams um, because mm-hmm. they never really bottomed out at like those sixty wins um, like 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 a lot of the other teams did. Um, yeah, and and the Pirates, you know, I would not want to be a fan of the Pirates right now, but y- you know what I'm saying. Like there there aren't many right. teams you can take a I don't want to say take advantage of anymore, but there aren't. Just there's nothing special about the Cardinals anymore. I guess is what I'm saying. Like well, every, the, every team is is operating with a very smart uh, foundation. Yeah, the thing that made the Cardinals special in many regards was the way they were developing minor league talent, and now everyone has the the sort of technological advances, the 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 understanding of some of the. Um, the ways to develop the methods and the analytics that back it up and how to translate that. They have the data. They have all the same things. Now, in some regards, I think that there are people who would say the Cardinals have almost fallen behind a little bit, particularly on the pitching side, which is fascinating to me because they've done a really good job of developing pitching over over the years. So uh, there's always more that can be done. There's always more to be learned. There's always ways to improve that. And there's certainly continuing that progress, but they're not the only ones doing it anymore. And they're not the only ones seeing um, the advantage of developing your own talent as opposed to going out and buying it on the free agent market. And that's, again, that's why they don't always play the same game that some of those other top teams are playing, but they've managed to be fairly successful over the years 
playing their own game. I just, I wonder how much that dynamic has shifted and if the status quo for the Cardinals is going to allow them to keep up anymore. And that's, I think, where a lot of people get concerned when, like you said, they don't even seem to be playing the game as far as some of those major contracts are concerned with the best players in the game. Right. And, you know, for all we know, five, six years from now, we'll be thankful they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the opposite, you, you know, we're, we're, it's just going to be have to, it's just going to be a wait and see approach. We, we really don't know. I, I don't know. Um, you know, Harper is a very interesting free agent, more so than Trout, because Trout's a very much as sure thing as has ever existed almost right. in baseball. Harper is a sure thing in terms of the excitement that bringing him over is going to produce. And I think we've seen that already in Philadelphia yeah. with like Jersey sales and just like how amped like the local media was and stuff like that. Um, but you know, he's, he's had injury problems. Uh, his, his career has been way more inconsistent than, um, than Trout's. I think he's only had one season. That was his monster 2015 season. That was better than Trout's like worst season. I, I think I saw <laughs> someone with that stat the other day. I, I don't know what that was based on. I'm sure it was based on something very valid, whether it be war or WRC plus or whatever you want to name it. Cause Trout is that good. So yeah, he's, he's not a perfect free agent. We might be very happy that we don't have him for the next 13 years, but I don't know. I don't need to reiterate everything I s- said 10 minutes ago and have been saying the last couple of months. I'm just very curious. You know, I, I'm, I'm just really curious. I wish we could like mark a moment in time to like talk again five years from now and just to say like, hey, this is what's happened since then. Uh, let's go. Let's revisit what we said and see how stupid or how smart we look. The good thing is now we've said it all publicly, so we can <laughs> yeah, go yeah, back in time it's on the record. <laughs> eventually yeah. um, to look at all of this. But it is, it's really, it's a conversation that I don't quite know how it ends, much like I don't know how this dynamic shift works for the Cardinals. Um, we we planned to talk about it for five minutes and we've talked about it for 10. <laughs> yeah. That's how this conversation. Ruining our lives. Exactly. Yeah, we it. can't even stop talking about him when we're trying to stop talking about him, but we will transition. I'm going to, to take that as our jumping off point. We asked for some questions on Twitter and on Instagram. We're going to try to get to some of those. One of them ties in, I think, very nicely here. And that comes from our very own Ben Cerruti, who asks, in what scenario do you think the Cardinals actually bring Marcel Ozuna back in 2020? And the reason I say I think this ties in is because we're talking again about how much the Cardinals are going to be willing to pay for someone who at one point they saw being a pretty core piece of their lineup, um, at least in a, a small time frame when they made that trade a year ago. So is there a scenario and what is it? Do you think that the Cardinals bring Marcelo Zuna back? Man, it's hard to think of one. I, I don't, I don't see them bringing him back. Uh, let's say he has a repeat of his 2017 season. He's a Boris client. So we, we, you know, we know he's probably going to hit free agency. We can like push aside any talk of like extending him in the yeah. or something like that. Um, I, I don't see the Cardinals wanting to pay for someone who is approaching 30 and who has been rather inconsistent throughout his career. So, so that's if he has a repeat of t- his 2017 season when he had like close to what, like 150 OPS. Um, you know, he was, he was really good that year. Yeah. Let's say he has a season closer to last year or 
fill in the blank of any season he's had since he's come up other than 2017. Well, I certainly don't think they're going to want to sign him to a contract when they have so many options that we've heard about internally. Um, I, I just don't think it's a very good match, not necessarily personality-wise, um, but just player-wise. I, I just don't feel like he's a good fit right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that if he has a monster year, he's going to price himself out of what the Cardinals want to pay for that position, considering the options they have in-house. If he doesn't have a monster year, the Cardinals have Tyler O'Neill ready and waiting to be that guy, I think. And the only scenario in which I think that might be different is if Tyler O'Neill has a terrible 2019 and they realize, okay, maybe this guy isn't quite ready, but there are, even at that point, other guys in the minor league system for the Cardinals who could potentially be that future outfielder starting player on this team that they wouldn't need to to pay market rate or higher for Marcelo Zuna if they're not completely convinced that he's a core piece of this team moving forward. And I really don't think they are. Um the trade for Ozuna, I think, was the Cardinals making a move because they felt like they needed to. Um, no, and I'm not saying that they didn't. I think we all we all saw the the need for a boost offensively, but I don't know that even then I saw Marcel Ozuna being a long term fix for this team, particularly with some of the guys coming up behind him. So, I, I, Ben, in answer to your question, I don't know that there is a scenario in which I feel confident that the Cardinals would make an attempt to bring Ozuna back in 2020. I will also add real quick, like let's say he has a monster season in 2019 and then he walks. Um, Great. Um, (laughs) You know, if you look at what we gave up to get him, I don't think we're ever going to look back and regret this trade. And if, if he has a monster year and someone pays him what he's, what what he's worth, what he's deserved, then then that's awesome. I just don't see that being uh, the Cardinals right now. Now, if that happens, and also let's say Goldschmidt, uh, for whatever reason, is not a Cardinal after this season, that's going to be a pretty bad look. Yeah. I I think for the Cardinals. (laughs) So uh, it it will – I don't think they are going to sign – Ozuna's going to be back with the club after this season. Um, It'd be hard to envision one, but I do think it puts – a little bit of pressure on like, all right, you guys need to spend some money here. And the smart money, I guess, would be on Goldschmidt, assuming he's the Paul Goldschmidt we think we all traded for. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't spend it on Ozuna, then that's more money they can uh, entice Paul Goldschmidt with. I'm sure that's not exactly how it works. But nonetheless, (laughs) nonetheless, that's how people will perceive it. Okay, so the follow up question then comes from Stu, our own Stu Styles. How do the Cardinals find a way to get Martinez, as in Jose Martinez, and Tyler O'Neill 400 plus at bats apiece? Now, this is interesting in the conversation about Ozuna. Um, and I'm also going to throw in one other question that asked uh, about Harrison Bader if he's actually good enough to be a big leaguer. Because I think all of this ties together in what is a really interesting outfield mix. And we've talked a little bit about this. You talked a little bit about the breakdown of some of those at-bats for a guy like Martinez um, on last week's episode when we talked a little bit about the roster construction. But there are uh, it's, it's going to take some creativity and some um, convincing on the part of Mike Schilt, I think, to figure out how to get everyone to buy in and make this mix of outfielders 
work effectively so that they all get those at bats? Yeah, to answer Stu's question specifically, the answer is you don't. I, I just don't see 400 plate appearances <laughs> for both of those guys, unless something goes very, very wrong um, from an injury standpoint or just that Dex really is broken and they realize that quickly and kind of um, put him on the shelf. Um, I think a more, uh, if Stu doesn't mind me kind of altering his question a bit, I think a better question might be, how do you get them the most plate appearances? Um, mm. And I think, I guess you, you platoon O'Neal with Fowler since he's not as good from the right side, um, you know, every so often. And, and also since, you know, Bader doesn't hit, hit right, you know, I, I got to be honest here. I haven't watched a single spring training game yet. Um, the <laughs> other day I set up my MLB TV uh, and I kind of like watched a few uh, yep. a few innings from like the game the day before just to make sure everything was working nice and smooth. But what I ha- what I do understand, what I have heard is Bader has not looked great on like sliders and stuff like that. Um, and so maybe still you still meanwhile slide. Tyler O'Neill is destroying yeah. baseballs. <laughs> That's what so I, there's I, that. <laughs> I heard the home run he hit yesterday or the day before left in such a hurry that he didn't even see it go out, and he thought yeah. it was like a ground double or something. I didn't. That, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the the video clip later. Yeah, he stopped okay. at second base. <laughs> okay, so so you platoon O'Neill with Fowler every once in a while, and also maybe you let him play some center um, when there's a righty on the mound every so often as well, um, and. If he continues to just crush the ball to the point that he has to be on the field, then you just let him push Fowler out of the way if Fowler's not putting up uh, enough of a protest to um, even argue that. With, with Jose Martinez, um, it's tough, right? Like, I, I think it's the same thing. You, you look for opportunities where you can throw in the outfield, whether it's, whether it's in place of Fowler when there's a – when there's a lefty on the mound, pinch hitting opportunities, you know, they're going to be there. But it's really hard to envision a scenario where both of those guys are going to be happy with the amount of at-bats they get. Um, maybe happy is not the right word because, especially with a guy like Jose Martinez, who always just exudes this sort of, I'm just happy to be here um, mentality and I'm just here to help the team in any way I can. But it's hard to envision either of those guys getting the opportunities that I think a lot of people would think they should have or have deserved by this point. Yeah, I think for a guy who spent as long as he did in the minor leagues, Jose Martinez is probably going to find a way to be okay with the playing time that he gets as long as he's on a major league roster. That said, he's a competitor and he knows what he's capable of. So it's going to be frustrating at times when perhaps Dexter Fowler isn't hitting that well and Martinez still isn't getting those at bats. It's interesting, as much as I think we've talked about Martinez as the guaranteed roster spot and as the guy that the Cardinals know and trust and believe in as an offensive power for them, it's still a matter of his defense that I think makes getting Tyler O'Neill at bats a little more logical than even getting Jose Martinez at bats because O'Neill can play any one of those three outfield positions. 
Um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day who thinks that Tyler O'Neill will be the starting left fielder in 2020 when Marcelo Zuna is not there. So it, it's, it's more conceivable to me that you could put him in any one of those positions if there's a, a weakness shown, if Marcelo Zuna's shoulder isn't right, if Harrison Bader does slump, if Dexter Fowler doesn't bounce back like everyone hopes he does. Um, Tyler O'Neill can play in any one of those positions and you feel fairly confident comfortable and confident with what he can do defensively. Jose Martinez is a liability defensively and you can hide him in right field and hope that nothing terrible happens so that you can get his, his offensive production, but it does still limit those opportunities. So it's interesting that O'Neill may end up in some people's minds, the guy who should go back to Memphis and get regular at bats when he actually makes a little more sense as far as a like a plug and play piece mm-hmm. for this team on their roster as it as it is currently constructed. Yeah, he's certainly easier to shoehorn into the lineup than I guess Jose Martinez is. Um, if you don't mind, I want to pivot to Beta real quick because I know that was kind sure. of the sub question. Um, you know how when someone is so overrated and people constantly just talk about how overrated they are that they almost start to become underrated. I feel mm-hmm. as though that's like Bader's almost approaching that territory. Like this talk of like, is he even a major league baseball player? Uh, I, I just don't understand the skepticism in terms of what I saw last year. Uh, even if his offense drops off, which I think we all expect it to, uh, I still like him in center field. I, I think he's I think he's that good. I think he's that valuable. I don't have to have a center fielder. I, I can live with a center fielder, um, you know, who, who's I don't want to say putting up Billy Hamilton like numbers from the <laughs> at the plate, but it's not the worst thing in the world from your center fielder, especially one as good as uh, yeah, one as good as someone as good as Harrison Bader. So I feel like we went from talking about like, oh my gosh, this guy's like the face of the franchise, uh, rookie of the year contender to not everyone being like, uh, is he even good? I don't, you know, I just don't. <laughs> so yeah. again, you know, I, I could be, you know, I, I know why people have been skeptical, uh, excuse me, skeptical of him in the past. You, you know, I know what Kyle has said about him, but uh, I feel, I feel really good. And, and Kyle has said mostly good things about him. Um, so I, I, even if his offense drops off a little bit, I, there's not a single part of me that doesn't think he he should not be the starting center fielder and will be the starting center fielder for a majority of the season. Yeah, he's an interesting case for me because I think he surprised a lot of people with what he was able to do offensively when he was brought up to the major league level. And I think what makes it difficult is that when it's such a surprise, when he starts doing things that are not things that he did over the course of his entire minor league career, it's hard to sort of figure out how that's going to hold up and and how that's going to be sustainable and if it's going to be sustainable. Um, But you're right. I don't think it needs to be sustainable in the exact replication of what he did in 2018 for him to be a successful player. Look, I have been at the forefront of arguing that Colton Wong doesn't have to be the middle of the order bat in order to be a very valuable piece on this team because of what he does defensively. It would be incredibly hypocritical of me to not say the same thing about Harrison Bader. He doesn't have to be the offensive firepower for this team if he's saving runs on every 
and any given night in center field in a way that no one else on this roster can. And that is what he has to offer right now. So, I mean, I think the the job is his um, until something dramatic changes uh, changes the the status quo, changes the situation to be such that he's not the best candidate for that job right now. Um, and and I think that part is just as much um, as TBD as what his offensive production is going to be this year. So yeah, is it, he is he a major leaguer? I think the answer is yes until he proves otherwise. Yeah, it's not like we're all out here arguing that he should be the leadoff hitter. Right. Or, or or that we think he's going to be. I don't even know what face of the. I don't even know what that means. Um, I guess. Uh, it means I, he's I the, he's I, the guy I, to model the New Jersey. Yeah, up, yeah. Maybe. Well, he does. He does a very good job <laughs> at that. Uh, I, it's not like we're arguing he should be the leadoff hitter or that he's going to be the best uh, player for like the next generation of Cardinals. What we're saying, I think, what most people are saying about Harrison Bader is he's a he's a guy who's going to hit in the bottom of the lineup and play excellent defense in center field. Like that's what I expect from him. Yeah. And and I I would be shocked, and I will be the first to admit I'm wrong if he if after this season we don't think he he lived up to that. Yeah. Yeah, the the expectations have been set pretty high, but I think, um, and I wrote this in something uh, the other day, that if anyone can catch lightning in a bottle twice, (laughs) I think it's probably Harrison Bader because he's going to put in the work and he's going to make sure that he's going 100% every opportunity he gets. And, um, you know, there's, there's an amount of talent there that is natural, but he also works really, really hard to use it to the best of his ability. And that may not be, um, it, you know, his offense may never outshine his defense, but that's okay. <laughs> that's who Harrison Bader is on this team. And that's, um, that's something that the Cardinals haven't seen in center field in a, quite a while. Someone who has that defensive prowess. And that's exciting in its own right, to say the least. Okay, one more question um, from from the audience. Uh, although Daniel Shapta is is hardly just a, a casual listener, but nonetheless, we'll get to his question because it's about pitching, and we haven't really talked about that tonight. So his question is: How much in total will Brett Cecil and Luke Gregerson combine to contribute on the field this year? Mm. Uh, that's a loaded question, <laughs> I think, um, because there's so many variables at this point. But uh, what do you what do you think between Cecil and Gregerson and their possibility yeah. of contribution this year? I'm going to have a sort of spicy answer and say they're going to contribute nothing. Okay. Um, and <laughs> well, <laughs> so last week when we talked about you know when we were trying to like configure the the pitching side of the roster with both uh, the starters and the bullpen. We didn't mention Gregerson and I can't even, I can't speak for you, but I didn't even think of Greg of, of Gregerson. Um, did you, did, did, did his name come up? I don't, I don't look. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I really don't think it did. Okay. And regarding Brett Cecil, um, I hate to return to Bryce Harper, but w- w- one of the things that I think frustrate a lot of fans and, and Mo's really good at g- giving that one kind of signature quote. That's just going to frustrate the fan base <laughs> all off season. And this, the quote this off season was that, you know, we're going for in 2019. Um, and, and I think that's why people were frustrated that, well, if you're saying that, why are you not at least inquiring with, with Harper? 
Well, the flip side of that to me is if you're going for it in 2019, then there comes a point when you have to realize maybe we have some sunk costs here and just make a clean break. Um, because going for it in 2019 means realizing that losses in April mean just as much as they do, you know, any other time during the season. Now we don't want a, a start like 2017 or what well, I think they started what, like three and nine. And then it just kind of felt like they had to play catch up for a couple months. Um, and then towards the end of the season, you know, when we were battling for a playoff spot until they kind of drifted off the last couple of weeks, you know, I kept thinking back to that three and nine start, like, wow, it sure would have been nice to just, I don't know, six and six would have made a big difference, you know, out of the gate versus, um, versus that. And I, I know, I know, you know, it's a super long season, 12 games over any stretch is basically meaningless, but if you're going for it in 2019 and you don't think Cecil is going to offer that much beyond what we had last season in 2017, you make a clean break because to me, that's not, if you don't do that, then that's not consistent with the idea that you are here to win the division this year, especially with all of the options that we talked about last week um, that, you know, it almost it, with how crowded it is with trying to figure out like, Oh my gosh, who's going to have to go down to Memphis. Um, you, you just cut Cecil. Um, now, I also say this on top of what I said earlier, which is I haven't watched anything um, from spring training this year. So if he's like just mowing people down, then... You haven't um, missed much. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I've, I've peeked in here and there in terms of like what people are writing about him and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah. That's so, my opinion anyway. No, and I think it's it's very valid because I think any way you slice it, and I want to, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too careful with the way that I talk about Dexter Fowler at this point. And maybe that's just me feeling like I really, really want to see the Dexter Fowler that I was very excited to have in St. Louis. So perhaps it's just me naively hoping that that's still a possibility. Um, But I do see some parallels between Brett Cecil and Dexter Fowler, not just in the struggles that they had sort of off the field last Mm -hmm. season, but in the position that they're in right now in the team trying to kind of recoup some of that value based on the contracts they gave them, but also in the, the position that they're in, sort of trying to almost justify their place on the roster based on the guy's spot that they're taking, Uh right? So whether it's Brett Cecil or whether it's Dexter Fowler, you can very clearly make a case for someone else that's actually performed better, whether it's in spring training or whether it's last season or over the last couple of seasons. There are other players who could do that job potentially better than they will. And it's hard because, you know, when you're putting together a roster, you feel like you want the best 25 guys. Often those contracts play into who actually ends up being on the roster, whether they're the best of the the options available or not. So there are some parallels there for me because it feels like they're both in a position where if they're playing up to their potential, you can absolutely justify their place and their role on this team. But if they're not, there are other options that are going to be, you know, stuck at Memphis somewhere when they should be playing in major league games that could potentially be helping the major league team win when Fowler or Cecil are not doing that. And that's why I think it's, it's not hard for me to understand why so many people are so frustrated 
and tend to take that out on Cecil or Fowler directly when it's not, it's not really them that, that the, the frustration should be um, directed towards. It's just sort of the circumstance as a whole, because you want there to be value there. And if there's more value in say Austin Gomber or Dakota Hudson than there is in Brett Cecil, you want that guy on the team, but he's probably not going to be. So for me, to sort of, no, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, because I, I sort of felt a little bad about piling on Cecil like that, only because I, I have read the reports that, and I've seen the pictures that he looks um, in, in really good shape, um, and he made a concerted effort to to get in as good a shape as possible. I know we always joke about, like, oh, he's in his best shape of his life. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's to be applauded, like, because yeah. he's getting paid regardless, and he cares. Like, I, it's... I'm not of the belief that he like doesn't care. Um, um, I think he cares a lot. Uh, And I think he's actually uh, um, a really good guy. There's certainly nothing that we've seen to the contrary. So I I want him to succeed with this team um, because I think he really wants to as well. I'm just coming at it from a standpoint of the, the time for experimenting and kind of a wait and see approach with Cecil should be gone. Right. Yeah, they've they've tried a lot of things. And I guess that's why this spring, I don't know, it's hard to say that it matters more for a guy like Cecil or a guy like Fowler or a guy like Drew Robinson who are trying to prove their value in one of those roster spots. But I guess maybe it does a little bit in that coming to spring fit and trained is one thing, but then being effective in your job is another thing. And that is... I don't think Brett Cecil wants to be in a position where he knows he's on the roster only because of the contract that he has and not because he's earned it with what he's able to do in in making a contribution to this team. So that was very long-winded of me. But uh, to answer Daniel's question, what will they, they combine to contribute? I think it's pretty telling that we've gone this long answering this question and still haven't talked about Luke Gregerson. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to go on the record and say, I don't think there's a contribution from him at all. Um, Cecil, I guess for me, the jury's still out just because he made such significant changes over the off season that I'm curious how that will play out. Um, you know, he's talked a little bit about kind of reworking his mechanics and making sure that he's where he needs to be in that regard. So maybe, again, it's just me being the optimist and hoping that there is some return on the investment there that allows him to contribute. And here's the thing. I think if we see Brett Cecil with the team this season for an extended period of time, it's because he is being effective. Um, I don't think that they're in a position where they're going to take up that roster spot with someone that cannot get outs at the major league level. I just don't think they're going to do that again, um, especially without the insistence of someone like Mike Matheny, who always wanted to just continue to believe in that veteran guy that he's so close. He's one, you know, one side session away from figuring it out. I think Mike Maddox and Mike Schilter are a bit more practical in that regard. And it's, they can make those decisions without it being quite as personal um, as it seems to be in the, uh, the previous regime. So I don't think I expect anything from Luke Gregerson. I think Brett Cecil, for me, the jury's still out just because we haven't actually seen what all of his work over the off season has been. Um, but I feel like if he 
if he is on the team, it's because he's figured something out and and is going to be effective. Um, however you want to, however you want to uh, categorize that in terms of um, contribution, shall we say? So that is uh, that is our mailbag. There were some other questions. We don't have time yeah, to get to all of them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone who asked questions. Yeah, there thanks for sending ones, those yeah. questions. We're going to um, hopefully do a, a show like this every once in a while. So if you think of really interesting questions or you have just this burning topic idea that you'd like to hear Alex and I discuss, make sure you send it to us either on Twitter. You can send it to the, uh, the Birds on the Black Twitter account or Instagram account. We check those messages regularly as well. And I will just keep track of them and we will circle back if there's a, a question we really like and want to talk about at some point. But that'll do it for today with the exception of the Chirp of the Week. And once again, I turn things over to Alex. Okay. Um, so this one is pretty stupid. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. But, I like it already. Uh, did you know we have four games in the month of March this year? That's insane. Yeah. So um, the last four days of March, the Cardinals, uh, I believe, have a game every day. Um, and well, I they don't have the weird uh, after the, the second day off yeah this year, right? yeah i hate that i'm glad they got Same. i don't know if they got rid of that but i'm glad i don't have to put up with it this year um i assume that's just because of how the schedule worked and also because they're trying to get a few more days off for the teams and that's a good thing um but here's the stupid part i decided to go back to um all the way back to 2000 and look at all the games the Cardinals have played in the month of March um, leading up to this year. And that's uh, five <laughs> games. Um, oh. The Cardinals uh, since the year 2000 are two and three in the month of March. That includes two losses last year to the Mets, the, their first two games of the season. Um, their two wins opening day, 2003, they won 11, nine against the Brewers. Um, and that was fueled by a six run Inning, I think it was like the sixth or seventh inning, so late in the game, um, largely due to Scott Rowland hitting a big three-run homer. Um, but I want to talk more about the 2014 uh, game on March 31st, also opening day in Cincinnati. The Cardinals played the Reds, uh, and they won one nothing. Uh, Adam Wainwright, in arguably the best season of his career, um, some people might say 2010, but you can make a case for 2014. Uh, he had a very good game. He pitched seven shutout innings. He struck out uh, – where did I wrote it down here? Where did I put that? I lost it. He struck out a lot, though. He struck out like eight, gave up three hits, uh, walked a few. Um, but what really sticks out is he struck out – well, he didn't strike out, but Billy Hamilton <laughs> – and this kind of goes to show you – Billy Hamilton led – off for the Reds that afternoon, which is really funny in retrospect. That sounds like a decision that would be made in the 80s and not uh, mm -hmm. 2014. Um, Billy Hamilton led off for the Reds that afternoon. And I was kind of terrified of Billy Hamilton leading into this season. Uh, you know, he had that season in, I think, A-ball where he like stole 100 bases in like 80 games. Uh, and he kind of came out for that cup of coffee at the end of the 2013 season. And it was just brilliant. Um, but Billy Hamilton struck out four times in this game uh, on 17 pitches. Uh, and that was on 13 strikes, too. So he had a foul tip in there somewhere. Um, but basically, on an average of about uh, four pitches per at-bat, struck out every time. Uh, and I remember watching him be like, oh, wait, he's just terrible. <laughs> like, I don't need to be worried about him at all. Um, but in fact, you know, he's not terrible. He's carved out a nice little career for himself. Um, and 
you know, leverage that into uh, getting a contract with the Royals. So, so that's nice, nice for him. Uh, but yeah, the Cardinals won that game one nothing. Adam Wainwright was really good. Um, we can call him Mr. March if we want to. I suppose <laughs> I don't know. But that is your trip of the week. The Cardinals playing in March two and three since two thousand. That is not information anyone needs to know, but you have it now anyway. So that when you're playing random, you know, trivia nights. And that, that think, question's never going to come up. I was trying. I was trying to, to, you know, I that's <laughs> I, I got nothing. Um, except that it is interesting when uh, sometimes those small sample sizes are just really fascinating because they're different than you know the overall yeah. story when you when you put the whole picture together. And because it's March, why is there? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. Baseball is baseball. I'll take it any time, but. Uh, in March, it's a little strange. It is. I, I remember that game from 2014 pretty well, but obviously I had to go and look at baseball reference uh, to get all those stats fresh in my head. And so that's just another reminder that baseball reference is like the greatest website in the history of the world. It is. What would we do without it? We certainly wouldn't have the chirp of the week. That's <laughs> that's for sure, at least not based on, on my memory, which is uh, almost non-existent. So thank you, Baseball Reference, for your, uh, for your service to this fine community. All right. I think that's enough uh, nonsense for me at this point. Let's wrap this one up. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at AlexCard79, at Tara Wellman, at Birds on the Black. Follow us on whatever podcast listening service is your preference. It's the Birds on the Black podcast, and you can find us there. You can find Prospects After Dark there. You can find the Dirty 35 um, podcast, uh, the complimentary podcast, shall we say, to Alex's pieces on the site. And just one quick little uh, shameless plug. We started our minor league project this last week, kicked it off with a great piece from um, Adam Van Grek about the ongoing legal battles of minor leaguers and the pay issue. And I had the chance to talk to Jeremy Wolf, who is a former minor leaguer who now is the director of More Than Baseball, which is a super cool uh, nonprofit that is very hands-on in the way that they're going about trying to uh, to support some of these guys who just quite honestly don't have the tools or the circumstances to do their job to the best of their ability and that's that's a shame when uh, when there's so much that the the baseball industry as a whole has has generated as far as profit so um, just a little plug for that we're gonna continue to do stuff on that hopefully throughout the season. Um, and we're really excited about that project. So make sure you're checking out the site. Make sure that you are gearing up with us for another season. And Alex and I will be back with you next week. 